There is a cramped little bookstore that I love, located uh, on an alleyway off Ben Yehuda Street in Jerusalem. It's one of those places that is filled with lots of old things. Old maps, old papers, books, curiosities from decades ago. You can find ancient coins from the Roman era, things like that. A number of years ago, I was rummaging around various drawers when I unearthed a handwritten note on a small piece of hotel stationery. It was signed by a man named Ahad Ha'am, and he was writing to his wife to request that she send him more cigarettes. In one of those classic life errors, I didn't buy it because it was really expensive. And of course, now I totally regret not having that framed somewhere in my apartment. Because despite the triviality of needing more cigarettes, Ahad Ha'am was one of the major figures of the Zionist movement, someone whose vision of what the Jewish state should be has had, I would say, as much influence as Theodore Herzl's. Although Herzl gets the lion's share of credit for the establishment of Israel, today's Israel very much reflects Ahad Ha'am's vision of the Jewish state as the spiritual and cultural center of the Jewish people. We never talk about him on birthright, and it drives me nuts. We can't understand Zionism or modern-day Israel without understanding what Ahad Ha'am was all about. So last week we talked about the political nature of bringing the Jewish state into being. This week we're talking about bringing the Jewish. Welcome back to Jew Ought to Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So I don't know about you, but I am excited for today's episode. When I was sketching out season two, I really thought that it would only take me like two or three episodes to get up to Israeli independence in 1948, but I keep finding more stuff I want to talk about, and of course that I think Jews ought to know. So at this point, we're at the tail end of the 1800s, and we've got this Zionist redwood tree that I've been talking about. We have the root structures, the situation of the Jews in Western and Eastern Europe. We have the main trunk the central idea of Zionism as a Jewish renaissance that would remake the Jewish people and reestablish their homeland in Palestine. And we have one branch on the tree, which we call political Zionism, led by Theodor Herzl and dedicated to the political establishment of a physical nation state for the Jews. But today, we're going to add a second branch, which we're going to call cultural Zionism. I mean, not just us. Everyone calls it cultural Zionism. I didn't just make that up. But it's called cultural Zionism, and Ahad Ha'am is its leader. Cultural Zionism actually came about before political. It was really the first branch on the tree, but I started with Herzl because that's who people are more familiar with. And because a lot of what Ahad Ha'am advocated was in opposition to Herzl's ideas. Ahad Ha'am most famously wrote that he wanted a Jewish state and not merely a state for the Jews. Out of this basic ideological difference between him and Herzl came a wide range of other disagreements. Disagreements that not only influenced the early years of Israel, but which also continue to resonate in today's politics. One of the reasons for Herzl and Ahad Ha'am's disagreements was their different backgrounds. Like a lot of early Zionist leaders, Ahad Ha'am came from Eastern Europe, Odessa in the Ukraine, and he was raised in the Orthodox tradition before rejecting much of the religious convention as an adult. His given name was Asher Ginsberg, but in the manner of so many Zionists, he'd changed it to Hebrew. Ahad Ha'am means one of the people. 
He grew up deeply immersed in Judaism and Jewish history, culture, spirituality, and he had absolutely no tolerance for what he considered to be Herzl's total lack of Jewish knowledge or credentials. Not only that, but Ahad Ha'am had been a leader in the Zionist movement for years now. Who did Herzl think he was, swooping in with these big pronouncements and big dreams out of nowhere? He is way late to the game. Perhaps due in part to these different backgrounds, Herzl and Ahad Ha'am differed over the premise of the Zionist question they were considering. Herzl thought that the problem was with the Jews. The Jewish question, he called it. The Jews were under threat in Europe, so the solution was for them to leave and establish their own state. But Ahad Ha'am thought the problem wasn't with the Jews so much as with Judaism, which was in a state of spiritual and moral decline. His solution was to establish a spiritual center in Palestine, not necessarily an entire political state. In fact, Ahad Ha'am was against Palestine becoming a Jewish state at all, because it was too small, it was too backwatery. It didn't have the space, it didn't have the cities, it didn't have the economic structure to take in the Jewish people. And not to mention the Arabs. We'll get to that subject in another episode. Palestine simply couldn't accommodate the millions of Jews that Herzl and his followers intended to transport out of Europe. But it could support a small Jewish colony. The idea of this Jewish colony gets at what Ahad Ha'am felt was the premise of the Jewish question. Unlike Herzl, he didn't look at the problem in Europe as being solely about anti-Semitism, although the persecution of Jews was certainly an essential element. But even if the Jews established a state and moved there, Ahad Ha'am said, it wasn't going to solve their problems, because their problems were related to their Jewishness. Remember how we divided up the roots of Zionism between Eastern Europe and Western Europe, where in the East the problem was persecution, but in the West the problem was assimilation? Jews weren't going to get murdered in the West, the thinking went, but by assimilating into the surrounding German, French, and Austrian cultures, they were going to assimilate themselves out of existence. Judaism as a religious tradition wouldn't be exercised anymore, and with it, that, that X factor of Jewishness, the Jewish soul, the particular Jewish spirituality, that moral sense of Judaism, that would cease to exist. But a colony in Palestine that could serve as a spiritual Jewish center that, Ahad Am said, that could be the solution. The colony would only need to be small, a few thousand Jews, but it would model what a Jewish society would look like when guided by the richness of Jewish culture, spirituality, and tradition in the ancient Jewish homeland. And in 1892, Ahad Ha'am wrote that when the Jews came to visit the colony, they would feel a deep love for the ancestral land and their brothers living in it, so that many of them would soon become lovers of Zion themselves. In other words, I, a Jew in Europe, am going to be so inspired by visiting this Jewish settlement in Eretz Yisrael that I'm going to go back home, become a Zionist, and feel such pride and purpose in my Jewish spirit that I will be doubly committed to my sense of Jewishness, what we would today call Jewish identity. On Birthright we call this coming back and drinking with my bus buddies, but the basic idea is the same. That excitement and pride and inspiration we feel when we come home from Birthright is what Ahad Ha'am was aiming for. And so for him, the Zionist movement wasn't just about getting the Jews to Eretz Yisrael. It was also about building a huge network of Jewish educational and cultural activities throughout Europe. 
They're speaking Hebrew in Palestine? Let's learn Hebrew here in Europe. They're doing Shabbat in the land of Israel? Let's do Shabbat here. What this small group of Jews was doing in the land of Israel would inspire and revive Jewish national life throughout Europe. The emphasis would be on cultural expressions of Judaism, on everything from the language to the traditions, but without the forced conventions of strict religious observance. The aim of Zionism for Ahad Ha'am's cultural Zionists then, it wasn't necessarily the creation of a Jewish state. Zionism was intended as a vehicle to revive Jewish culture and spirituality in a way that ensures the Jews of Europe preserved Judaism. Now, Ahad Ha'am wasn't totally opposed to a Jewish state in Palestine. He just thought it would come about sometime in the very far distant future. First, we need this small colony to get things started. Then we need a few generations to strengthen the Jewish character and revive the Jewish spirit. Then, down the road, Jews can start gradually moving to the Jewish state at a pace slow enough to allow steady economic growth. But right now, the Jews of Europe, they're too impoverished, they're too downtrodden, they're too assimilated to be able to create their own non-European style Jewish state. This is what Ahad Ha'am meant when he said that he wanted a Jewish state and not merely a state for Jews. But this was in stark contrast to the urgency of the situation that Herzl saw. And three things are going to happen now that are going to tilt the balance in favor of Herzl's Zionist vision. The first Zionist Congress, which was in 1897. Herzl wrote another book called Altnoyland in 1902. And the Kishinev Pogrom in 1903. Let's get into it. Having burst onto the scene to seize the mantle of Zionist leadership, Herzl endeavored to bring the Jews of Europe together to officially launch this political effort to create a Jewish state. He gathered at his own expense delegates from 16 countries in Basel, Switzerland on August 29, 1897, 120 years ago this summer. It's been called the single most significant gathering of Jews since the Romans destroyed Jerusalem 1800 years ago. To demonstrate his seriousness, Herzl famously required a white tie dress code for the couple hundred people in attendance, and adopted a formal process for the convening and agenda of what became known as the First Zionist Congress. I was really tempted to do an entire podcast episode on the Congress, but I decided to spare you. We are here, said Herzl at the opening. We are here to lay the foundation stone of the house which is to shelter the Jewish nation. He paid lip service to Ahad Ha'am's cultural Zionists by declaring that Zionism is the return of the Jews to Judaism even before their return to the Jewish land. But he didn't really believe that. He stressed that the most essential element was the urgent need to secure the physical protection of the Jewish people. Over three days of speeches, discussions, and deliberations, the first Zionist Congress adopted a four-part platform to guide their efforts. I'll tell you all four parts, but it's okay if you don't remember them. First, they're going to encourage small settlements in Palestine for the purposes of agriculture and art. Second, they're going to work to unify the Jewish people around Zionist groups in every location. Third, they're going to work to strengthen Jewish self-awareness and national consciousness. And fourth, that they're going to begin the necessary diplomatic efforts to ensure the support of various governments towards the creation of a Jewish state. 
The Congress created the Zionist organization to represent the Jewish people to the national governments of Europe. This was the Jewish society that Herzl had envisioned in his 1896 book, The Jewish State. Herzl was elected president of the Zionist organization, unanimously of course, and the Zionist organization actually still exists today. Finally, the delegates of the Congress rose together and sang Hatikva, crying as they hugged one another over a feeling of solidarity that the Jewish people hadn't experienced in centuries. Despite all these divisions, there was a shared sense that they were on their way to achieving something huge. Writing in his diary after the Congress ended, Herzl wrote, If I were to sum up the Basel Congress in a single phrase, which I would not dare to make public, I would say, in Basel I created the Jewish state. The Zionist Congress continued to meet annually, moving along the debates over Zionist culture, politics, diplomacy, and the practical realities of building and funding settlements in Palestine, as well as convincing European Jewry to take up the Zionist cause, a topic we'll get to in another episode. Meanwhile, Herzl traversed Europe from one side to the other, trying to raise support for the Zionist movement from the national governments of Europe. This effort to get support from European leaders led him on his first and only trip to Israel. In 1898, he visited Jerusalem. It was his first time, it was his only time, and he met there with Kaiser Wilhelm II of Prussia in order to obtain recognition of the Zionist movement's goals. The Kaiser, recorded Herzl, didn't say yes, but he didn't say no either. Five years after this first Zionist Congress in Basel, Herzl published another book. This one, a utopian novel about how he envisioned the daily realities of the Jewish state. He titled his 1902 book Alt Neuland, which is German for Old New Land. In it, a European Jewish traveler stops off in Palestine and discovers for himself how advanced this Jewish society has become. The Jews have created there a thoroughly Western nation, cosmopolitan, technologically advanced, economically prosperous, multi-ethnic and multilingual, with equal rights for all, Jews and non-Jews alike. Altenoyland was another best-selling hit for Herzl. It was read all over the Jewish world by the Zionists eager to understand how their vision of the Jewish state would play out. Old New Land explained how the Jews were going to take their ancient homeland and turn it into a fully modern society, making the title of the book an apt description of Herzl's vision. But when it was translated into Hebrew, it was given a different title. It was called Tel Aviv. A tel is an ancient hill, and Aviv means spring. So together they made for this poetic imagery of what Herzl was trying to convey. That image stuck, and Tel Aviv became the name for this small city that would later be established on the beach in Palestine. But back to Ahad Ha'am. Now, he had no patience for Altneuland. Once again, he complained, Herzl didn't bring the Jewish. The modern state that he's describing in this book is just another European country, this one located in Palestine. Where is the Jewish connection? Where is the Jewish meaning? What the cultural Zionists were after was a much grander dream of Jewish Renaissance. Ahad Ha'am said, An historic ideal demands historical development. And historical development takes time. But time didn't appear to be on Ahad Ha'am's side. 
the violent persecutions which formed the roots of Zionism in Eastern Europe returned again, this time to the city of Kishinev in 1903. Kishinev is today called Kishinev, I can never pronounce that correctly, and it's the capital of Moldova, then it was located in Russia. In April of 1903, an anti-Semitic Russian newspaper accused the Kishinev Jewish community of murdering two children and using their blood to prepare matzah for Passover. A classic example of a popular and gruesome anti-Semitic trope known as the blood libel. Egged on by the newspaper and the local Russian Orthodox bishop, Easter-going locals led by their priests left church and went straight to a two-day binge of destruction and murder, killing 49 Jews, injuring hundreds more, and destroying hundreds of homes and businesses. The New York Times described it as a horror beyond description. It was so awful that Teddy Roosevelt mentioned it in his 1904 State of the Union address. The Russian government blamed it all on the Jews. The shock of the pogrom, the utopian vision of Alt-Neuland, and the momentum gathered by the first Zionist Congress in Basel it put the cultural Zionists on the back foot. Even Ahad Ha'am now recognized the urgency of the need to get the Jews out of Europe. And while they would continue to wield a great deal of influence in the Zionist movement, now, at the turn of the century, Theodore Herzl's political Zionist vision led the way. But all this doesn't mean that Herzl was right and Ahad Ha'am was wrong. In addition to getting a number of the details wrong, which we talked about in last week's episode, Herzl also got some of the big picture stuff wrong too. In a terrific essay recently in Mosaic Magazine, the scholar Hillel Halkin points out that Herzl never quite appreciated the extent to which Jewish culture would be essential to attracting Jews to Eretz Yisrael and to the Zionist movement. It wasn't enough to just push to create a state. Ahad Ha'am was correct that people needed something more powerful than just a political goal to work towards. Herzl led the Zionist movement for seven years, until his death in 1904, and Ahad Ha'am criticized him for not having much to show for it. Yes, he created this political organization that attracted a mass of followers to fulfill his vision of a Jewish state, but that was it, said Ahad Ha'am. Of course, as Halel Halkin points out, that was a lot. If Herzl hadn't created political Zionism in 1897, there wouldn't have been an effort to establish a Jewish state in Palestine, and we wouldn't have Israel today. And yet, writes Halkin, Ahad Ha'am set the agenda in that he understood the long-term vision of a particularly Jewish state. He understood that a central spiritual center of Judaism in Palestine would inspire Jews around the world, even if they didn't live there. He understood that Jewish culture could adapt and flourish in this new environment. It wouldn't simply be a replica of European society. And he believed in a secular Jewish moral mission. What we talk about today in terms of kehila, which means community, and tikkun olam, which means social justice or repairing the world. And yet, Ahad Ha'am failed to appreciate two things that Herzl did. He didn't get how urgent the situation was. Of course, Herzl didn't know that the Holocaust was coming in just 40 years' time, but he and other Zionist thinkers had an awareness that the Jewish communities of Europe were coming to an end, a violent one and therefore the Zionist project had to begin now, right now. Ahad Ha'am, writes Halkin, also didn't grapple with the question of how ideas might be translated into reality. It's such a great criticism. Ahad Ha'am was talking about a small settlement here and a vague sense of Jewish culture there, while Herzl was down in the weeds creating representative bodies, corporations to move and manage assets, 
making diplomatic house calls on leaders of Europe to drum up support, raising money from wealthy Jews to finance the Zionist dream. And although he never lived to see the fruits of his labors, Herzl's pragmatic institutions would be essential when the Jewish state started to coalesce in the 1930s and 40s. Ahad Ha'am never quite got there. And so in the end, as the 1800s turned to the 1900s, the Zionist tree has these two branches, political Zionism and cultural Zionism. And while cultural was the lead branch before the 1890s, political is the lead branch now. But given the blind spots and weaknesses of Herzl and Ahad Ha'am each, it took both of them to create Israel and the Jewish state that we know today. Both branches are absolutely essential. And of course, we're still talking about these two branches today. When we're talking about Israel's place in the world today and its government and institutions and political debates and all that stuff, we're talking about Herzl's political Zionism. And when we're talking about how our Jewish selves relate to Israel and how the Jewish state reflects the ideals of Judaism or not, we're looking back on Ahad Ha'am's vision of Israel as the source of inspiration for Jews everywhere. That debate from 120 years ago never went away. Okay, so we are on our way. We are on the road towards creating a Jewish state that is both a state and Jewish. We're starting to get out of the realm of the theoretical and into the realm of like, you know, let's do this. But now we have the question of who's going to live there. What kind of Jew is going to create this new homeland? What kind of Jew is going to pick up and move to Eretz Yisrael? The answer is a new kind of Jew. And we'll talk about that new kind of Jew next time. Thanks for listening. Uh,